Hey folks, before we get going with today's episode, uh, I want to once again plug the Endurance Athlete Summit that is uh, being run the first weekend of February by a great bunch of Toronto uh, endurance coaches. Um, there are panel discussions. There are also experts talking about the myriad of uh, endurance-related fields. Uh, I'm actually doing um, a chat on aerodynamics, um, and I'm also interviewing Jeff Chong, who is the, the founder of the Toronto Triathlon Festival. Uh, he's been a guest on our show in the past. So I think it's a it's a terrific opportunity to both um, learn a little bit, but also to support the uh, local to you if you're in Toronto triathlon scene, or uh, well, the distant to you if you happen not to be in Toronto triathlon scene. Uh, it's an excellent uh, bunch of folks doing uh, a really solid presentation on. I'm not going to say all things triathlon because that would be that's a lot of things, but uh, let's say many things triathlon. And to register, go to Endurance Athlete Summit, uh, no punctuation between those words, .com, and I will have the link in the show notes as well. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. And we've had some interesting interviews lately, so Michael and I decided that we'd uh, we'd just keep it between ourselves this time. Well, between ourselves and all our <laughs> listeners, but um, yes. we're, we're not having any interviews uh, this time. But we wanted to catch up on a few topics that we'd actually talked about previously and just kind of touch base and provide updates on the um, admittedly not super scientific but interesting research that we've been doing in our <laughs> in our own time um, and it's uh, hopefully information that everyone will find very interesting and very very useful hopefully too uh, and maybe some things that you can try at home part of the fun of doing this podcast at least for me is then using myself as a guinea pig um, to to try out some of these methods and we've talked about uh, one of these topics before and that's the uh, the core temperature sensor so I've done a little bit more um, dorking around with it, uh, but I've also had the opportunity to uh, try the heart rate variability method for detecting your aerobic threshold that Bruce, um, a couple episodes back, introduced to us. So we'll talk about those things. Uh, also want to give some shout outs to folks who were kind enough to write reviews for us and then um, uh, preview some shows that we're going to be doing in the coming weeks, some of the interviews. So yeah, as Andrew said, this is going to be kind of like a little palate cleanser for for you listeners, just because we've had some fairly dense uh, um, scientific presentations in the last few weeks. We had uh, overtraining of muscle types with Phil Bellinger, of course, and then we had Dan Bigham, who spent uh, a great time talking about aerodynamics, and then we had Bruce on uh, this heart rate variability estimation, and of course the last episode with uh, Costas Georgis on uh, on uh, music, and that all of those were fairly dense, uh, fairly science heavy. Uh, topic. So today we're going to take a little bit of a, of a lighter touch, I think. So instead of palate cleanser, maybe we can call it a menthol rinse. A <laughs> menthol rinse, yes. Uh, good uh, good uh, holler back to another episode that we did, of course. Uh, I love it. Uh, so Andrew, where do you want to get started? Do you want to do, um, do you want to do some previews for what we've got coming up? 
Yeah, why don't we? Yeah, why don't we just spend a little bit of time talking about that? Because um, I think we can introduce the topic, but uh, we're not probably the best to to speak intelligently about it right now. Uh, <laughs> but after we do the interviews, we'll be hopefully much more versed in the the technology. But um, I think everyone understands the role that computers are playing in daily life now, and looking forward, how artificial intelligence and neural networks will basically shape every part of our lives it's not a surprise that it's starting to impact training and to to use the results of your current training to to help guide the next steps for you. Uh, and this is traditionally the role of coaches, but this is starting to shift a little bit. Yeah. So we actually have two interviews lined up um, on the subject of uh, algorithm-assisted uh, training. And uh, I think they're actually, the reason we have two is because they've taken quite a different approach. Uh, and I'm very keen to learn how, how those approaches work and how they're exactly they're going to be um, how they're going to uh, affect both the the coach and the self-coached athlete. And to be honest, when I was, you know, when I was first introduced to the concept of, uh, of AI-assisted coaching, uh, I was, you know, as a coach uh, primarily, I was, I felt a little bit threatened. Uh, but the more I, I thought about it and the more I, you know, I spent time researching it. I think the way I think about it now is more of a of a coaching helper. I think there are certain things that coaches do that that will be hard to replace for uh, for machines. I mean, at some point, it probably will happen. But um, to streamline some of the tasks that we coaches do, I think there's a really terrific opportunity to to do that with uh, machine learning. So I'm really keen to uh, to have these folks on the show and learn what they're up to. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll touch or just start off, I guess, by saying the introduction I've had to at least computer generated coaching schedules has actually been through Trainer Road, which is a system that mm. uh, I quite like using. Um, but you start to see some of the limitations. But in this system, you would basically input how experienced you were with interval training. Of course, they use your FTP to help scale all the the workouts, but they would go through and depending on which days you want to do certain workouts, they would build out a plan for you. So it's it's more of a, and they call it a plan builder rather than coaching system. Uh, but it's very difficult to account for things that happen midway. So for example, if you have an injury or if you have illness or if you're not able to get to pools, for example, to go swimming. <laughs> yep. uh, so all of that stuff doesn't really factor in. So I'm, I'm sure they didn't take COVID into account when they were programming this in the, the pre-COVID days. Um, but it's it's a good starting point. And I think there's it highlights some of the strengths and weaknesses that these systems can have. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm uh, I'm very, very interested to see where, where these folks are headed. Um, the other, the other individual we're going to have on the show is a sleep expert. Um, and we're super excited about this one as well, because, uh, sleep of course is absolutely critical to, well, to life, but, um, to <laughs> endurance training in our context, because it's, it is of course, as we've said many times, and as a friend of the show, David Tilbury Davis was really heavy on when he came on to talk about recovery, it is key to recovery. It is, uh, uh, it is thought that uh, most of the recovery happens during sleep, and it is that is why sleep is such an important component of uh, of endurance training. And we've got one of the experts in the field coming on the show to talk about that. And it's something I've personally struggled with throughout my life. I've had bouts of insomnia. I recently have been waking up very early and unable to go back to sleep, hmm. and just poor sleep quality in general. So I'm very curious to see what kind of different or what kind of changes I can make in my life to improve that or what kind of impact these may be happening or having. 
Yeah, me too. Actually, it's funny that you say that because I've uh, in periods of of uh, high stress, I've had a similar problem where I almost never have trouble falling asleep, but I will. I have had periods where I will consistently wake up way before my bedtime. My not bedtime. My wake up time and have a, a very hard time going back to sleep. So I think that's a fairly common. Uh, stress response um, or sleep disruption in stress, but uh, our, our guest will will shed a little bit of light onto that. I hope. And I, I think from a personal standpoint, both of us are a little bit tired and have had a stressful weekend. So if we're we're recording this on a Sunday night, and this is probably a good indication that we need to talk to someone about this. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just joking with Andrew before we we pressed record that uh, for for folks with parents and those of you listening who have kids, folks with parents. Oh man, this is this is my case in point. Perfect example. Yeah, exactly. I'm definitely keeping that blooper in. Um, for folks with kids, folks who are parents, um, Sunday night feels like Friday night in a lot of ways. And I'll qualify. These are kids who, who go to school on Monday morning. Um, and of course, I only have one kid going to school right now because our schools in Southern Ontario are still closed. Um, but it feels kind of like Friday because you're, you're going to have, a, in a sense, a lighter day the next day. But unlike Fridays for people with, you know, with no kids, it, you're so goddamn tired by the time that it's it's sunday night that there's no opportunity to have any you know any fun anyway so instead we uh we record podcasts and here we are and here we are okay so moving right along um i i know i made a promise to read out some of the uh the reviews that you folks have been kindly leaving us uh and we are very grateful for it and we've just had you know, really dense interviews. Uh, and I've sometimes, you know, this is my bad. I've just, sometimes it's, it's been, it slipped my mind after, after being focused on, uh, on the conversation at hand. And so uh, I want to take this opportunity to just read a couple uh, from, uh, from our listeners. And again, thank you for submitting these. This comes from Mike. Uh, Mike is a longtime listener and actually has supplied us with a whole bunch of questions that we've answered on the show uh, and also is one of our Patreon supporters. So, Mike, thank you so much for for supporting us and for submitting this review. Um, It really does mean a lot to us. So here's what he has to say. Um, His review is titled, A Must for Any Endurance Athlete. I listened to the Endurance Innovation Podcast because it provides relevant and interesting evidence-based information about running, cycling, triathlon, and other endurance sports. It takes, deep scientific, it takes a deep scientific dive into a diverse variety of topics that affect performance, and I avidly look forward to each episode and frequently recommend it to my club mates and others in the running community. That's awesome. Thank you, Mike. Thank you very much. And it was actually kind of cool. It hit me when you were reading that out saying, long-time listener, that we can actually, or people can actually say that now. That's... Yeah, thank you for everyone who's listening who has continued to listen through uh, quite a number of our episodes. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a few of a few of you who um, who I've interacted with uh, off the air, obviously, um, who have sent me notes that um, continue to do so over over the. Well, let's see. We're coming up on two years in May. We'll be we started in May of 2019, so we're you know about uh, I guess 20 months into the show. Uh, another longtime listener, and uh, this individual we've actually had on the show. This is uh, Pierre Facompre, who is a product manager at Look. And uh, Pierre is one of those guys that I correspond with, feels like on almost a daily basis, because we we always have interesting things to tell each other. Or rather, you know, he has a lot of interesting things to tell me. And I say, well, thank you for sharing your um, <laughs> all of this testing that you're doing, which is which I won't repeat on the air because I've been sworn to secrecy. But it's it's really neat stuff. And uh, maybe I'll, we'll, we'll get Pierre back on once he is allowed to talk about 
you know, the uh, the aerodynamic uh, nerdiness that he gets up to as part of his job uh, at Look. Uh, so Pierre writes that he never misses an episode and he keeps learning things on a large variety of endurance sports related topics with each episode. Um, they can be about our physiology, our gear or anything social and about sport in general. Michael and Andrew are full of knowledge, happy to share it and invite great people when they want to dig in on a specific topic. I love it. Looking forward to more insightful episodes in 2021. We love you too, Pierre. Thank you so much for those kind words. So let's uh, let's leave it at those two uh, because I uh, I'm starting to feel like like I'm getting a little bit too self congratulatory here. Um, we've got a couple more to read, but we'll uh, we'll read those out in future episodes. But um, as we say before, thank you so much for uh, for submitting these in and uh, and keep them coming because it absolutely does help us reach a broader audience. In fact, uh, this is a very unscientific uh, observation, and Andrew and I have promised to to always qualify things that way when we, when we make statements that we cannot back up with evidence. Um, but since we've had these, uh, all of these reviews start coming in, uh, our download numbers are noticeably increased. So it's, it's very, you know, it, it's difficult to prove causation there because uh, our download numbers are dependent on a whole number of things, but um, certainly the algorithms in the, the, you know, the big podcast aggregators like Apple Podcasts and Spotify, they do look at reviews and they do look at ratings. Um, And the more of those that we have, especially the positive ratings and the reviews themselves, they really do help other people find the show. They will, the algorithms will prioritize shows with more reviews and ratings. Absolutely. It's very much appreciated. Okay. Um, Andrew, do you want to talk about uh, the core sensor and then uh, and then the, the HRV stuff too? Well, I can talk about it, but I think you probably have a bit more to say about it. Uh, <laughs> sure. So we can talk about it. Yes. We can talk uh, about it. But yeah, you've been doing some of your own testing, I think. Uh, like I've been doing a ton of testing myself, but it's mostly just for my own personal use. Right. Oh, one thing, one thing that's kind of cool that I will put in is I noticed that I did a, a brick workout the other day Okay. and I've commented in the past that I seem to run a little bit hotter than you do, where I stabilized about 38 and a half degrees, even with the fan on. Um, so when I finished my bike workout, I was at around 38 and a half, which is usually where I end up. And then okay. I hopped in the treadmill and the temperature actually went down in what? this workout. So I've never seen that before. That doesn't uh, make sense to me, but okay. So it, it wasn't a super intense run workout. Okay. Um, so it, it was a low pace, just kind of a you know standard brick workout where it's just get on there and try and get it done at a, at a decent pace. But um, yeah, I was very interested to see that. I hadn't expected or hadn't seen that before. At the very least, I thought it would maintain the same temperature. Huh. Um, so that was that was neat. That is super interesting. So when we had uh, and listeners, we had a chat with um, uh, with the guys at Core probably two weeks ago. This well, we obviously didn't record it. This was just a uh, a device uh, conversation. They answered a, a lot of our questions and gave us a bit of an insight on what's coming next. And it's mostly you know under the hood stuff. Uh, but I I actually asked them that question of uh, what would happen in the in the transition off the bike and into the run. Andrew, I think this is after you you had to hop off the call. Um, and I was very interested in this, but for me, I think it was for outdoor applications because uh, one of one of my findings in in races, uh, especially in in hot races, is that I'll, you know, 
shoot for some kind of bike power target and end up overcooking it a little bit thermally and feel a little bit warm on the bike, but okay. But then as soon as I hop off the bike, that's when I'm in serious trouble because Mm -hmm. the, obviously the airflow, um, the rate of the airflow is much reduced when you're running because you're moving at a much slower pace uh, than when you're on the bike. And so the the cooling effect of that airflow is greatly reduced. And so um, it's something that I want to experiment with to see just how much of a hit my my core temperature takes when that transition happens. But I imagine, and I'm going to, I'm not sure, but Andrew, did you have your fan on the treadmill as well? Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So same cooling, but probably a lower power output because it was a fairly intense bike workout. It was, ah. I think, it, it was an intensity factor of about 0.8. Um, so for, I think it was a two hour workout. So for a two hour workout, that's, that's pretty solid. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah, exactly. That's, that's so, high. Yeah. So I was, I was working hard. And then just once I got on the treadmill, it was a matter of just keeping my legs going. Uh, so definitely not a high pace in races. I have felt exactly what you described where your temperature continues to go up and you're pushing to the limit of your thermal abilities or thermal mm-hmm. or even physical abilities. But it's always uh, on the run too. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this was just a, an interesting change to it. So, um, it is possible to decrease if you've got a windy day. Um, it is possible to bring down your core body temperature while you're running. I wonder too, and this is just a, like a straight up guess if, um, depending on how your fan is orientated, like I know if I am, um, I'm not riding my TT bike right now, just switching it up just for the sake of it. But if I'm on my TT bike in aero, my fan is in front and below and it's kind of like, it's kind of hitting my legs a little bit and hitting my forearms and maybe getting, and getting my face a little bit. But a lot of my torso is shielded by my arms and by my, you know, maybe the, even the, the, the front end of the bike, which is, you know, not the way that the air would hit me if I was riding outside, but not super dissimilar, right? That's the whole point of being in an aero position to begin with. And then, if I, I imagine if I was running on a treadmill with the same fan, uh, I could see that the airflow from the fan hitting my whole body, which is now, of course, vertical, um, and then potentially improving the efficiency of heat transfer just because there's more surface area uh, exposed to the airflow. Does that? How does that sound to you? Yeah, I think there's definitely some reasoning for that. Um, I think that... In my setup as well, I've got the fan at an angle. So it's one fan position. I've got the bike and the treadmill set up next to each other. Uh-huh. Um, and I just rotate the fan when I'm on the treadmill. So it comes in at an angle, whereas it's straight on and sitting, uh, you know, 20 centimeters in front of the, the front wheel on my bike. So so there's, there's probably a component of that. Probably in actual riding conditions, I'm getting much more cooling than I would with the fan here and possibly the similar cooling on the run. So maybe it's a little bit disproportionate in that way. Uh, but it was just an interesting observation. So yeah. I'll, I'll keep an eye on it in the future, especially if I, um, it'd be fun to do like a short and intense bike workout and then go into an intense run yeah, uh, just to see if I can maintain that core body temperature. And then turn off your fan and see what happens. Yeah. I don't like doing that. No, <laughs> That's it's not fun, <laughs> it's, it's not fun <laughs> but uh, it's probably a really good test to do. So maybe I will try that the next time. I think that's, that's going to be part of my plan for, for hot race uh, training. If I was doing the, the run indoors for some reason. So I, I hijacked your, your thought process there. Um, you were start, starting to talk about your own research and then I <laughs> no, that's suddenly good. realized I actually had something to contribute. So. <laughs> uh, my, my own research, with, with sticking with the core sensor, there was just a couple of things I want to mention. And this, again, came, as, uh, came about as a result of our conversation with the, uh, with the guys at Core. 
Um, one was they encouraged me to wear it all day for a few days. And that was really interesting. So, um, listeners, just real quick, there's two modes to the core sensor. There's a sport mode where you pair it to a heart rate strap and it, stra- it clips onto your heart rate strap and you do your, you know, bike or run or whatever you're doing. Um, and then, and in the sport mode, the sampling frequency is fairly high, which is kind of what you want. You want it to respond quickly, although your core body temperature doesn't very, doesn't really respond very quickly because, you know, you're a big lump, especially if you're like me. Um, but in that, there also has an all day mode where you don't wear it on a strap. You, you use a, a kind of like a medical grade adhesive to attach it to the same spot on your on your chest um and you know you can wear it as long as you basically until you shower although the guy said that uh um yeah f- for me too that it survived the shower the uh the adhesive so it was uh that was totally reasonable um so i wore it i think for two and a half days i got two sleep cycles through it and it was really interesting to see how my core temperature changed with my i, I, I imagine circadian rhythm again i'm purely purely guessing here but i could tell when i was um when i was feeling sleepy in the evenings my core temperature would start going down and it would go down by maybe 0.3 or 0.5 degrees um and i was uh i was like oh that's, this is kind of interesting and and i I'm wondering if this can be used, and this is a good question for a sleep expert, if this can be used as a signal to go to sleep. Like if you need some kind of external signal other than feeling sleepy, which is what you really what you, that's really should be the only thing you need. But if you're one of those people who needs like a device to tell them to do stuff like me sometimes, they're like, go to sleep because your core temperature is dropping. Um, and the, one of the two nights I missed it. I was just like, I was engaged. Oh, we my partner and I were watching a show and I was like, well, let's watch another episode, which is always a bad idea. Um, and so I feel like I missed that window and I could actually see my core temperature start to come up a little bit. And then I had trouble falling asleep and I have no idea what caused what, or if there was any kind of even, you know, correlation there, but it was, uh, it was, it was fun to see. And the other thing was that I, um, I drank a, uh, a smoothie with, that was made with frozen fruit after a workout while wearing this thing. And I, I, I saw <laughs> a, a decline of, I think it was 0.4 degrees of my core temperature following the consumption of this beverage, which is pretty cool, you know, which is kind of what we always thought. But uh, it was um, it was fun to see. Like obviously, this wasn't a very controlled test because it wasn't just pure ice, which is something that I'm going to do in the future. Um, it was it had a lot of ingredients, but one of the ingredients was some frozen fruit, which was which did the job of uh, lowering my core temperature quite quite substantially. And you definitely notice it when you have a smoothie because at least when I do it, I often shiver right afterwards, even if I've just come off a hot workout. Um, like it, it's very effective. So I don't think anyone would really question that. It's just cool to see the actual results and how much of a difference it made. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And with that all-day monitoring, they've added a new um, a new feature for the Garmin, for, for folks with Garmin's, uh, and that is uh, you can add a widget, which is uh, kind of like not a... It's not a an app, quote unquote, like your run app or your bike app. It's one of those things that you can kind of cycle through like body battery or, <laughs> or you know... Um, your messages and things on your on your watch um, and you can see your core temperature without checking it on your phone if you're wearing it all day. One thing I'm really curious to know is there's been a lot of talk about people, you know, getting drowsy behind the wheel. And I know there's uh, when they're driving and I know there's a lot of uh, systems that people have looked at where detecting eye motion and head motion to see, you know, are you getting head tilts or your eyes or your pupils dilating, things like that. But I wonder, could you 
preempt all of this and see like a decrease in core body temperature before someone starts to get that drowsy feeling. That is a very cool idea. We'd have to ask the guys. I think that's a, that's a really neat application. I mean, if you think about it, there's the core, your core temperature can tell you so much about what's going on in your body, right? Like if you're if you're running a fever, obviously, or if you're you know falling asleep. There are so many applications, and uh, they've they've studied it. Um, they're, they're, I know they're doing some research on um, certain diseases that affect um, the changes in core body temperature with the circadian rhythm that could be markers for uh, for some kind of diseases. Um, and so that's, you know, it's fascinating what, what this stuff can do. And there is that uh, approximately 50% of the population that has the menstrual cycle that uh, you and I don't uh, experience directly, mm-hmm. but there's a big impact on core body temperature with uh, just how that cycle progresses. So um, and it's not something I've personally done a lot of research into, but uh, but I know there's so much information that you can glean from it. For sure, and of course, for you know, for our, for our female listeners who are endurance athletes, I imagine there is uh, there is a very substantial role in the menstrual cycle on endurance performance and on you know the the kind of the optimal. Uh, endurance programming, the kind of work you want to be doing in different parts of your cycle. So if knowing that accurately using this device, uh, that could improve your endurance uh, endurance training experience as well. This is all very neat stuff. I'm absolutely fascinated by body temperature and the sensor. Like we've, we've talked about it, it seems like endlessly now, but uh, I hope it's <laughs> clear to everyone listening just how genuinely fascinated we are by this the sensor and by this ability to look inside yourself. Yeah, it's got some pretty cool applications. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about, uh, uh, let's do a quick follow-up on our conversation with Bruce Rogers from two episodes ago. And uh, Bruce came on uh, to talk about a novel way of estimating your aerobic threshold using um, kind of a, a very highbrow, I'll say highbrow because it went way over my head, um, heart rate variability analysis method. Um, I wish you were here for this one, Andrew, because you're the uh, you're definitely stronger in the mathematics department than I am. But um, without spending too much time on it, because Bruce did such a good job, there is a way to analyze the regularity of the of the beats uh, of your of your heart, of course, which is what HRV is all about. But there's one way to analyze it, which they've proposed um, can be used to pinpoint that that um, that breakpoint in your intensity where you go from below your aerobic threshold to above your aerobic threshold. So um, just as a very, very quick summary, the aerobic threshold, of course, is not your anaerobic threshold, which is what most of us think of as, you know, FTP or maximum lactate steady state or your second your second threshold or your second ventilatory threshold. Lots of names for it. It's not that. It's the first one of those. So this is kind of the point where between you know below the below the aerobic threshold everything's pretty hunky dory it's where you can generally carry on a fairly easy casual conversation uh it's a pace that all things being equal hydration nutrition you should be able to sustain for quite a long amount of time at least metabolically you know muscular fatigue is a, is a slightly different topic um so the reason that we want to know this threshold for training and potentially for racing is that um, if you follow any kind of polarized training model or uh 
or even pyramidal training model, you really need to know where this break point is because you want to be spending the vast majority of your time below this point. So being able to identify it heretofore had been very difficult. Uh, you really had to go to a lab um, or you would estimate it based on you know, let's say a critical power curve, um, or, um, you know, there are other tests that you could have done like the inside critical power testing, which is excellent at pinpointing, um, your, your aerobic threshold. Uh, but this is another way to estimate it potentially, right? This is fairly new stuff. Uh, it hasn't, uh, it hasn't been around for very long at all. The the paper that uh, Bruce and his colleagues published is fairly, fairly recent, um, and all that you need is an, is an accurate Bluetooth enabled heart rate strap and a chest strap. Obviously, uh, the optical sensors aren't accurate enough to do this kind of analysis. Um, and a, there's a couple of different apps that you can use to analyze this data. There's a fairly high end, uh, HRV analysis software suite called Kubios, um, or there's a, an iOS app from, um, our friend Marco Altini of HRV for training, which I think cost me like 12 Canadian dollars. So very, very reasonably pr- priced iOS app that connects to the strap and then can, can do this, uh, newfangled analysis. That's a lot of talking. So that's just, that's just a summary for those of you folks who didn't listen to Bruce's episode. Um, and so the, the Im- implication is if you track this one metric, it's called, um, it's called alpha one. Uh, if you track this metric, uh, either in post-workout analysis or in, uh, you know, live, uh, which is one of the things that, uh, Marco's logger can do, uh, you can identify when you've kind of, when you've crossed from, uh, below aerobic threshold to above aerobic threshold. So there's a, there's a test that uh, kind of like a step test or a ramp test that you can do, which Bruce talked about. So I won't, um, to determine this. So I gave it a go, right? That's the whole, all of that long preamble was to tell you folks that I tried this at home. Um, and I got some interesting results. Uh, I first tried it running and I've tried it twice running and I got complete nonsense data, complete nonsense data. It was, uh, both runs were fairly easy. I could easily carry on a conversation um, and I was getting, I was not getting good, good data from the, uh, from the app for, for this. Now I talked to Bruce about this and, um, he told me that there are a lot of, uh, artifacts and artifacts are just unexpected, um, deviations in the beat rhythm that the software has to deal with. Um, and sometimes it doesn't do as good of a job and with running, there are more instances of this happening. Uh, and also, I mean, I was running on the streets of Toronto, so I was stopping for lights. Also, I was trying to be respectful and give people lots of space and run around them. And uh, it's been kind of nice. And so there are lots of people outside, which is, I think, a good thing. So I was giving people a wide berth. And as a result, there was a little bit of variation in my in my rhythm and my pace and my intensity, uh, but still uh, didn't get good data. So that was a little bit disappointing. But when I use it on the bike, it's a much different story. So first I did the, uh, the step test that, that Bruce recommended. Uh, I did 20 watt steps if you guys are interested. Um, and I let each step run for eight minutes. Um, the reason it was eight minutes is because Marco's app, uh, the recommended setting for doing this analysis takes, uh, measurements every two minutes. Uh, so you want kind of an even number of minutes per step. So you, you know, you want, you know, four, six, eight, ten. Uh, four, you're only getting two readings, so it's not very reliable. So Bruce recommended six or eight minutes. I did eight minutes. And you start at a very easy intensity and you go up 
past where you think your aerobic threshold is, but certainly not to your anaerobic threshold. So I didn't need to go to FTP. So it's not a hard workout at all. Um, so then I, I think I went up to, I did something like 170, uh, 190, 210, 230, 250 were my steps. Because uh, I knew 250 would be above my aerobic threshold. Um, and my guess was somewhere around 220 would, was is where my, I thought my aerobic threshold was based on like some old, old testing and based on kind of how I've been riding lately based on my FTP. Um, and sure enough at the, the 210, uh, at the 210, uh, watt step, uh, I was above the, the, the threshold in this alpha one metric. And then at 230, uh, one of the four measurements, one of the four two-minute measurements in that eight-minute step uh, was a little bit below. So then I went to the 250, as Bruce recommended. And at 250, I think three out of the four were below, uh, were below this 0.75 threshold. Now, it's a non-denominational value. So it's not 0.75 anything. It's just 0.75. Um, and so I, I, I sent him my file and I had a chat with him and he, he suggested that, yeah, absolutely. Like at two 30, you're in pretty good shape and above two 30, you're, you fall off the cliff. And so there's a clear signal there, uh, to him and to me, uh, that my aerobic threshold somewhere around two 30. So, you know, if I was training, if I was assigning myself training workouts, which I kind of happen to do, um, and I wanted them to be in, um, you know, below aerobic threshold, kind of zone one in Siler's three zone model, uh, I would want to be maybe 10 watts, 15 watts below that 230 just to be on the safe side. So it worked and it was kind of interesting and it, and it, um, it, it uh, confirmed what I believed about my own fitness on the bike. Uh, of course, this is N equals one kind of anecdotal information listeners, but uh, it, was, it was interesting to see that it worked, at least in the test. I'll have to give this a try as well, so at least we can have n equals two. Yes, of course, we would double our sample size. That's about be amazing. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, I also tried it in in a couple of workouts, and this was really interesting because I did it in a workout which was e- kind of like very easy endurance, about two hundred watts with um, with a sprint, not quite a sprint, but like an effort that was at two hundred percent FTP. Uh, for only 15 seconds every like 10 minutes, basically. So this is my like bread and butter, easy endurance session. Cause I just, I don't like sitting there forever. I want to break it up and I I really like breaking it up with short, very short intervals. Um, and so, uh, we, so, so the numbers for that, for that were, you know, super steady. This alpha one value was well above 0.75. So I was, uh, below my aerobic threshold, which was my, which was the point. And it was like, um, I think, uh, 90 minute or hundred minute ride. And then the next time what I did was I was, uh, I'm on the, I'm on Zwift and I was doing one of the tour to Zwift rides. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep it mellow. I'm going to keep it at like 220 Watts, uh, 210, 220 Watts. I'm going to, you know, be honest with this ride. And it had some climbing. Uh, it was the sand and Sequoias route for those of you who know. Um, but they weren't very long and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll maybe let her rip at the very end, but otherwise I'll, I'll, I'll behave myself. And of course that goes straight out the window when you're doing a Zwift ride, it's <laughs> like other people in it, but I was mostly good. I was mostly good. Um, when we first hit the climbs and again, they're not very long. I think the longest one is like five minutes for, for me not going very hard. Um, so I did that climb at just sub FTP and Sure enough, my my alpha one dropped below 0.75, which I would have expected. Uh, but then it didn't come back. And then I was, and then even though my heart rate came back down, and I went back down to like 200 and 220 watts after that climbing section. Uh, but my alpha one was was kind of in the in the basement for the rest of it because 
Oh, no, I don't know why, because I have some suspicions. I have some guesses as to why that happened. But um, it was really interesting to see that my power came down, obviously, because I had control over that. My heart rate came down almost to my pre-climby episodes, but my alpha one never did. And so I'm I'm wondering if that is uh, an aberration or if that's actually telling us something that once you go, once you go into that and I, I was never in the red zone because I was still below threshold for the most of it. Uh, once you get into that above aerobic threshold element for any appreciable amount of time, then it might not come back down or maybe I didn't give it enough time, but it wasn't like, it, it's not like it bounced right back. So maybe even that sub aerobic, what would have been below my aerobic threshold before I did the climbing element now was no longer below my aerobic threshold. So I'm wondering if it's just, you know, uh, data that was not useful, like the the analysis was no longer useful. And in fact, I was below it. Or if there was actually something to the fact that I, once I blew past that aerobic threshold, that coming back down would have taken, I would have had to have gone low, like more below it, if that makes sense, than, um, than I would have been if I was fresh. That makes sense, Andrew? I think so. Um, so the way I kind of interpreted what you were saying is it's kind of like the aerobic version of burning a match a little bit. Sort of, yeah. And exactly. I, I'm wondering if there might be, knowing that the metabolism is more of a sliding scale than a, a switch on and off, if it's some consumption of glycogen that uh, your body just wasn't able to recover in the time frame that you were looking at. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I was able to like, you know, shut it down and then, and then pedal at like 50% of, of threshold. Not, not that I was going down to like 150 Watts, right? Like I, I was still sitting at 200 220 Watts, like just below that, just below that aerobic threshold. So maybe I should have gone a little bit lower, but it's really neat analysis. And, uh, I think, I don't know. I don't think it's ready for prime time. I don't think it's something that I'm going to go to my, my athletes and say, guys, we have to do this test because it's awesome and it's a hundred percent accurate. And it's, you know, it's going to do all this wonderful stuff for you. Um, but I think it's, it's got some interesting potential and it's got some, you know, some interesting things that, um, that we can, we can try to experiment with. And I know, um, like I said, I've been corresponding with Bruce, uh, on some of the, uh, some of the questions that I've had, and he's been kind enough to, uh, to get back to me and give me his thoughts. Um, I didn't ask him this specific one, but I asked him questions about, um, whether or not it's, it's, uh, you know, the analysis is binary, like you're either above 0.75, you're below 0.75 and how far you are doesn't matter. Um, and he doesn't think that that's the case, but they don't have enough research yet to, you know, suggest that what does a reading of 1.0 mean or a 1.5 or a 0.5. Um, although he does suggest that like at below 0.5, you're probably at, uh, at threshold or above at your, 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 your second threshold, your anaerobic threshold. Um, and then he's also working on a paper that he doesn't have, he obviously doesn't want to talk about yet because it hasn't been presented yet, um, about trends. So when you're seeing your, um, the alpha one trend one way or another without maybe a change in mechanical power, like what that could mean. So there's uh, a lot more research being done into this, but it's, it's really neat. And it's, uh, this is, I, again, I, I say this frequently, but this is one of the, one of the reasons I love a to do this podcast is because I get to learn all of this fun stuff that, you know, maybe isn't that useful, but could be potentially quite useful in some circumstances. And one of the things I find fascinating about research is you don't always know what you're going to find. You often mm-hmm. go in with some kind of postulation, but then you find 
data aberrations, you find something that's not exactly what you're expecting. And it, it makes you ask the question, like, what is causing this? And sometimes you can trip over or trip into very interesting discoveries, not expecting to even look at them in the first place. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the more I, uh, when I, when I first started coaching and I would read a paper or I would learn about a new device, I'd be like, this is amazing. This is going to revolutionize, I can't even speak properly. <laughs> this is going to revolutionize the way that I, I coach this, the way that I, I, you know, relate to my athletes or the way that I program my workouts, because this is just mind blowing. It's so, it's like radically different. And of course that was, you know, I was climbing Mount stupid as, uh, as, Tilbury Davis puts it. Um, it was I was on the on the upslope of the Dunning Kruger curve, um, and the kind of the the more experience I become, the more I realize that that there are some things that we learn through uh, you know through uh, research that become very useful, you know, and there are other things that are not useful at all, and then there are other things that are sometimes useful. So context is everything and uh, knowing how to apply these new tools is really important and then obviously keeping you know not throwing not throwing out everything else that we believed uh, and and all of the other tools that we've used in the past but just adding this to the toolbox and uh, and using it when it's appropriate uh, is definitely the way to go and I think this one is has this this method has the potential to be something that is quite useful for us coaches and uh, and for you athletes and I always love just hearing the forefront of research when we're looking into things like this and it doesn't always come to anything but it's it's just neat to know what is being worked on and what is being looked at mm -hmm. yeah so I'm uh, the the last thing that I'll say about this analysis is I still want to try to see if I can get it to go for running or if I'm just like one of those useless cases that it it can't I, I, I can't make it work because Bruce's research the the paper that they published in um, oh frontiers of something <laughs> sorry Bruce um, I don't have it open in my tabs anymore um, but their research was conducted on runners so they did it in the lab obviously uh, on treadmills. Um, so they had a much more controlled environment and maybe that's the, that's the difference. Uh, but what I'm going to do is, uh, once it warms up a little bit, cause we've actually had some cold weather, but I think it's, it's warming up. And if it's not super snowy, uh, I'm going to hit the local school track because of course schools are closed. So tracks are open, um, and, uh, and try to do a ramp test, uh, on the track, uh, in controlled conditions. So I'm not going to hit lights and go around too many people, uh, and see if I can, actually get it to work. Very cool stuff. I'm interested to see how this goes. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Um, all right. Well, I think that's all that I, uh, I had. Andrew, do you have anything else that you want to talk about in this one? I think that's good for today. I think, uh, yeah, it's been a good recap and looking at some of the things that we have going on in the future. And I'm definitely excited to talk to our next batch of guests. Me too. Listeners, as always, thank you very much for tuning in. And uh, please do continue to rate and review us because, uh, as I said earlier and uh, oh, several times, uh, I think it really is making a difference. It's helping us tip the scale. So we appreciate that. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.